0: Welcome to another episode of Intelligence for Your Life, the podcast. I'm Gib Gerard, and our guest this week is Kate Warman. She is the author of Thank You for Rejecting Me. We're going to talk about how to completely alter your mindset and get uh, find find the joy in the rejection. Learn how to learn from the rejection. This applies to. Jobs. Uh, it applies specifically to dating, but we make it. We talk about how it applies to all sorts of areas. So, very excited to bring that to you. We also have a couple of quick pieces of intelligence that you guys can share or, or just you know, in, ingest those. Uh, that's coming up in a second. But first, a quick word from our sponsors, including Rocket Mortgage. This part of Intelligence for Your Life, the podcast, is presented by Rocket Mortgage. Want to see your loan options, adjust payments, and closing costs online in real time? Rocket can. Once again, thanks to Rocket Mortgage et al. And here we go. Two quick pieces of intelligence to share with your friends. New research suggests hobbies are actually a critical form of self-care that should be a priority in our lives, especially now, because they're key to staying resilient in these uncertain times. That's according to Dr. Scott Bason, a management professor at Fairleigh Dickinson University in New Jersey. He says it's normal to feel like you just don't have time for hobbies because you're too busy juggling commitments to your family and job, for example. But Dr. Benson says each new commitment to someone else adds extra stress that'll wear you down mentally and physically. And that's where a hobby can help because multiple studies have shown that when we're engaged in activities we're passionate about, it stimulates the brain in a way that's proven to lower stress, boost happiness and energy and make us more resistant to anxiety and depression. So there you go. You gotta get yourself a hobby. You know The old expression, get a life, has never been more apt. Here's another one. The oldest millennials are basically 40 years old now, so BuzzFeed put together a list of first-world problems millennials once faced that Generation Z will never know about or relate to. The members of Generation Z are now between 4 and 24 years old and don't remember a time before smartphones and Wi-Fi, for example. Here we go. Generation Z will never know the agony, oh, remember this, of having to print out everything, tickets, MapQuest maps, reservations, Gen Z will also never know the pain of accidentally being sent the wrong DVD by Netflix. Remember when Netflix just sent DVDs? Gen Z will never understand the frustration of not being able to go online because your parents or siblings were using the one computer your family had, or having your computer in one spot because they were, that was the only one that was hardwired into the internet. Oh my gosh. Or uh, if you guys remember this, not being able to make a phone call because somebody was using the internet or not being able to use the internet because someone was making a phone call. I just, I don't think you can even fathom what that is like anymore. Anyway, folks, there you go. A couple of uh, little bits of intelligence to put in your pocket and take with you. And here we go. Very excited to bring this to you. My interview with Kate Warman. Kate Warman, author of the new book, Thank You for Rejecting Me, Transform Pain into Purpose, and Learn to Fight for Yourself. Thank you so much for being a part of the show today. I really appreciate it.
1: Jib, so excited to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: So, Kate, okay, you you've got you've got a lot of things going on. You you've got uh, you've got your podcast uh with, which and uh, you've got a huge Instagram following. You have uh you have sort of you've become I don't want to say guru cuz I hate that word, but you you <laughs> are you you really do you speak you speak into people's lives in the dating world, in the relationship world in in a very important way. Uh and and this book obviously emphasizes the resilience that goes with rejection. Uh, what? Wh- why is this so important? What led you to write it this way, and why? Why? Why with this angle? How, you know, uh, take us through how you got to this book.
1: Yeah. So the book is called "Thank You for Rejecting Me," and I think what's so funny when people hear the title, they're like, "Wait a second, thank you." Well- why do you mean thank you? And so mm. I really don't, first and foremost, I don't believe you just say thank you for rejecting me immediately when a rejection happens in your life. And the book really encom- uh, encompasses more than just relational rejection, though I am a dating coach today. Really, I think that so many of our stories actually are identified or marked by different moments of rejection throughout our lives, whether from ex- like situations that happened to us directly, mm. external situations that indirectly affected us, or by situations in which we're rejecting ourselves internally. And through my own history of dating coaching now today, I've come mixed with my own personal story of rejection. I realized that so much of how we show up in our lives today is affected by Uh, The rejections and traumas and pains from our past that we haven't fully healed from or either that or we're living in this like bubble of kind of fear like, you know what, I just don't want to experience any ounce of that kind of rejection, heartbreak, failure, whatever it is, again, so I'm just going to kind of live over here, skate it in the easy zone, so I don't have to take that risk. But in doing that, we're missing out on so much potential opportunity in life, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, um, but yeah, I mean... I wrote this book on rejection because let's face it, I have been through a ton of relational and life rejections myself, including personal rejections. And so the book is very much focused on my journey and my story. And I break it down into 11 different kinds of life rejections and how we can learn to heal from those different rejections and actually have practical tools to face those rejections in the future. Because, um, I mean, you probably know this as well as I do. I mean, whether or not we want to admit it, there isn't a magic like cure or a magic vaccine that will make rejection go away. Right. You know what I mean? Right. It's going to continue to happen to us no matter what we do. Like we unless we live like Bubble Boy, there's that movie back in the day. Right. Yes. And like we're just like out. We never like deal with the world we're going to experience rejection, but I believe that it doesn't have to be as scary. If we can right. start thinking and healing through the things we've been through and then pick up some tools along the way, we can actually learn to be so much stronger in the face of rejection, which is a huge part of my journey and testimony.
0: <laughs> um, so, so lots, lots. thank you so much, there's lots to unpack there. <laughs> First of all, I would say that most of the most successful people in the world would say that leaning into rejection is the key to their success. In fact, never stopping putting themselves into situations where they can be rejected is the key to long term success. A lot of people who achieve success early on will say that they stayed in safe environments uh, and it led to them either having, you know, uh, being unable to sustain that success or having another epiphany where they had to come back and rebuild their success because what they had done is they surround themselves with yes people, people who just, yeah. who, who refuse to reject them. And then they end up waffling because they don't, they don't lean into the hard stuff. And the, what is it the everything you want in life is on the other side of fear. Everything you want in life is on the other side of being able to face that rejection. Right. So I agree with right. that. Um, I want to get into the 11 types of rejection because I think walking away with, uh, with these ideas of the different ways that we can be rejected is important in understanding how we can lean in further. But you mentioned something in there that I think is really, really profound. You talk about self-rejection. Um, yeah. I have some assumptions about what I think that is, but when you talk about self-rejection, what, what does that mean? And, uh, and, 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 and what does that, how does that look in our lives?
1: Yeah. So I start the book actually with, two big kinds of self-rejections. I mean, there's so many ways this can play out, but I just separate it into two different chapters, two different kinds. The first being body image and insecurity which is one of the biggest shame triggers for both genders, but especially women. Mm -hmm. It is known as the number one shame trigger for women. And Mm -hmm. I mean, I have not met a single woman in my life that doesn't have some form uh, or sliver of body shame and body shame creates piles and piles of insecurity. And when we don't, when we feel insecure, when we don't love our bodies, when we don't love what we look like, it completely affects how we show up in our life. It can affect how we show up for a job and a job interview, because if we don't, believe that we are beautiful from the inside out, we won't walk in with that sense of confidence within us. And similarly, when it comes to dating, you know, same thing there. And what's interesting too, even just in female on female friendships, like we, we find ourselves in deep, dark pits of comparison. And especially Mm -hmm. with social media today, I mean, going into a downward spiral of like, gosh, there's so many filters or so many things where we can just morph and shape and be anybody who... But ourselves, you know, like you can be anybody to uh, portray something just out of a fear of comparison. Like I have to look like this person or this isn't enough. And so that's body shame and insecurity. And men deal with this, too. I think it's under talked about how much men also struggle with body shame. So that's one type of self, um, self-rejection where if we, you know, so yes, the world is dictating in ways like what we should look like, but I think the biggest indicator of how we show up in confidence is ourselves and Mm -hmm. what we think about ourselves and what we're telling ourselves. And so if I walk into a room and I'm already thinking, you don't look good today, you're bloated, you look fat, you shouldn't have eaten that pizza last night. Oh my gosh, you're not pretty. You're not attractive. That guy's never going to want to talk. You, mm-hmm. Then what's going to happen? That is going to be wh- like basically the energy I bring into every conversation I have. Sure. You know, and in, and in, in somebody whether or not we admit to it or want to see it, like other people can pick up on that. Yeah. They pick up on yeah. it when you are talking to a person who's confident in their skin. Like you can just feel that mm-hmm. from the like. You can feel the way their dialogue, their texture, how they're comfortable with themselves. They're making eye contact with you. They're very present in the moment. And somebody who is very unsure of themselves, unconfident, you can see it in just their words, the way they're able to be present, their eye contact, sure. their body language, all of it. You, you know? can, you can feel the
0: difference, too, in between people that are sort of faking it uh, and putting <laughs> on that sort of that, that like fake confidence right but you can smell the insecurity right. underneath. We, we and and everybody can you can just feel it to your point
1: yes yeah no it's so 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 true jib and like that that's also me i like i'm the classic of fake it till you make it kind of person mm-hmm. until i realized wait people can actually sniff this out and right. it's it not only can they sniff it out it makes me feel like i'm abandoning my true identity mm-hmm. and so a lot of my journey also looked like well what is my true identity Who is Kate when she's not just trying to be what everyone else wants her to be? And that gets into the second type of self-rejection, which is also self-hatred and self-hatred. A lot of people, when I say that, it's like people are like, well, I don't really hate myself, Kate. Like I, I wouldn't say like, well, I hate. I hate who I am entirely. And maybe you don't, because if you did, you'd probably be severely struggling with depression or maybe even suicidal thoughts, which are very real things. But outside of that, I would say a lot of us are dipping our toes in the waters of self-hatred by the ways that we're shaming ourselves internally and the ways that we're talking about ourselves, Mm -hmm. or even the ways in which we think about previous versions of ourselves. I can't tell you like how many times I thought about myself as a kid. Um, and I would just shame myself every single time I would talk to people. I'd be like, Oh, well, when I was a kid, like I was the unruly child, I would yell Mm -hmm. and scream. And Mm -hmm. I was just terrible girl. And I threw temper tantrums and I was just the worst. And even just that kind of framing, it's shaming dialogue. I'm shaming the version of myself that was a child that felt broken and unheard and unloved. And that gets to the core of your identity. Like basically I'm, that's still part of me, you know, but Mm -hmm. I'm basically framing it up in a way with hating negative language And whether or not we're saying it out loud, there's also other ways in which just internally in our own minds, we are shaming ourselves and we're belittling ourselves. And at the end of the day, we say things to ourselves that would never be acceptable to say to somebody else, you know? Yeah. So I believe that self rejections um, need to be addressed first before we even go into the other kinds of rejection, because if we believe all these things, these negative lies about ourselves and these doubts Mm. um then when rejection external rejection hits like our identities will just be crumbled i mean we will feel completely destroyed and hardly be able to get back up
0: there are there are so many interconnected thoughts in what you just said so um i want to parse a few of them out but i think it's great because i think i think they really do go together so first and foremost this idea that The language that we use uh, underscores uh, our own self belief. Like I, I, I've heard this from other experts, and I talk about this often. We have these lizard brains that can't really determine the difference between words that we say. Like our subconscious is going to internalize the stuff that we say out loud about ourselves, or even the stuff we just say in our mind's eye about ourselves. Where you're just, you know, you say, "Oh, uh, I'm the worst." Your brain hears, "I'm the worst." Uh, Kate is the worst that just goes in there. There's nothing you can do about that. So changing some of that self-talk language is a huge key in, in, in dealing with your self-perception. And I think that's really important for people to walk away with, but, but also this idea that when you can change that self-talk language, when you can begin to undo the, um, ways that we reject ourselves, you know, uh, not only are you better able to handle rejection, you're also less likely to be rejected. Because when you yeah, when you yes. are in yourself, when you are your fully you fully yourself, that's what people want. That's what employers want. That's what potential mates want. They they want mm-hmm. to be with somebody who is fully themselves, so that they know who they're bringing on or who they're who they're going to begin to right. date. And I think that's I think that's really really key. Is to once you're comfortable with yourself, not only can you handle the rejection better, but you won't be as rejected.
1: Exactly. It's. Self-rejection is often a crutch that we want to reject ourselves sure. before others even sure. have the chance to. We're like, well, I'm just going to not put myself out there so that I don't have to risk that kind of rejection. But what actually happens is when you walk out there with, with in the world with more confidence – First of all, like you said, the rejection bounces off of you more easily. Mm -hmm. That's the first thing. But then you're less rejected because you're fully who you are. And it also is like what we define rejection as. Me getting told no, that could be a rejection, but it could just be like a redirection. It's all how I see it. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? And so somebody being like, no, this isn't going to work out for you. If I can see that as like, oh, this isn't like a life-threatening, life-big blow to my life. This is just an opportunity for something different and Mm -hmm. maybe I could start seeing it that way. And then the rejection doesn't have nearly as much weight and much power in my life.
0: Right. I mean, and and then that thing, I mean, look, whether it's job or partner, like how many, how many people open conversations with what do you do for a living and who is your significant other? Right. So we, we've sort of put that, that that's our identity into the equation uh, a lot. I mean that's sort of it's baked into our culture so undermining that yeah. is is in and of itself a huge act of subversion
1: yeah. No, totally. I mean, that's like how we connect with people. We want to know, are you single or are you married? Because mm-hmm. that's seemingly the most important factor in the world. Okay. Or like, what do you do? You mm-hmm. know, like that's it. And yeah. it's like, like, but what about what's your story? Mm-hmm. Um, what are the things that you like? What's exciting to you right now? You know, those are my favorite questions now to ask people, um, just in reframing what's actually important. <laughs> you know? Yeah.
0: yeah. So, okay. So, so let's say we, we, there are people out there who have um, maybe they've, they've had, uh, abusive parents or abusive partners who have, who have under, who have found that weakness and have pushed on that weakness over time. Uh, and they have gone into a cycle of rejection. And this is the other thing, right? It's a bit of self-fulfilling prophecy. The more you reject yourself, the more you get rejected, uh, in career and dating and all of these other ways, mm-hmm. um, which then creates a narrative of rejection that you internalize, right?
2: yeah mm-hmm. how totally.
0: how do you begin to break that cycle because I think people of all ages uh even all success levels uh whether you know in marriage or or in career uh, are are in some a lot of people are in those cycles. How
1: do we begin to unpack that? Yeah. And these cycles are so real. And my heart hurts and breaks for anybody who's in any sort of toxic or abusive relationship, whether it be with a parent or with a friend or with a significant other. And I think the first thing to know is um, A, that you're not alone and that um, you didn't deserve and don't deserve any of the treatment that you're receiving Mm -hmm. in this current moment. I think that a lot of times... There's so much shame in these cycles, like because of the gaslighting, because of just the discounting and and the consistent abuse of whatever form we start believing like, oh, I'm deserving this treatment. Right. for X, Y, Z. Right. And so the first thing you need to know is that you are not alone and that within that that you do not deserve this, that you didn't just get yourself here and therefore there's no way out and you just have to endure the treatment that you have. No, there, it, you do not deserve that. You should never be abused. Not, not a single person deserves any kind of abuse. And you are not alone in this. Like the statistic mm-hmm. is that so like one in three people are in an abusive relationship and that's women, but one in four men are also in an abusive situation as mm-hmm. well. And so there are so many people that are in abusive type situations. You are not alone. And that victims of abuse look I mean, they come in any shape and size. I was being abused in a relationship while I had a very stellar career in New York City. And nobody would ever have guessed behind closed doors what I was actually going through. Because sure, I was showing up to work every day, my hair done, my lipstick on, my heels. I would I would kill it at my job. But nobody knew behind the closed doors I was going through abuse. And I actually hated myself. So the first part of really... Stopping this process, yeah, knowing that you're not alone, knowing that you don't deserve this treatment, but also seeking um, seeking community, seeking a safe source. And I don't mean telling everybody about what's going on, but finding one, two, or a handful of safe people that you can really run to and be honest with. And that takes a lot of courage, especially for people who feel a lot of shame for the abuse that they're enduring of any kind. Mm-hmm. So find somebody that you really trust and, sh- yeah. and- know, get the courage to share and say out loud what you've been going through. Um, And then I would say from there, just really take the time that you need to heal from this journey of abuse and from this situation. Um, When I was healing from abuse, my counselor basically shared with me that being in the abuse cycle is basically being like being addicted to a hard drug. Yeah, And that was a it's a crazy like maybe like comparison, but it really (laughs) is that way, like You become addicted to this thing that you know is very bad for you. And you just so want for it to be different, but it's never going to be different, you know? And somewhere deep inside, you know it's never going to be different, but you just keep going back to it, especially when you're tempted. So start healing and take all the time and space you need to heal from that. Mm. And then after you've started that journey of healing, I would say the last thing I would really recommend. Start looking, and this is after some healing is already done. But, um, I would say that after you've done done some steps towards your healing process, I would say then is the moment to start taking radical ownership by looking back at the patterns in your life and anything that may have led you here. And now, I'm I want to be careful to say you didn't deserve the abuse or treatment. And if you were a child born into an abusive home, like you definitely do not. Like you didn't have really any control over that. But if you're older and you got into any sort of abusive friendship or a marriage or relationship of any kind, or even your parent is like emotionally abusive in some capacity as an adult, um, look at the patterns in your life that potentially got you there. Was it because you believed terrible things about yourself already? Was it because something happened to you in childhood that made you attracted to some sort of abusive kind of manipulative narcissistic love? Um, Because oftentimes those things can be normal to us, even though they're really toxic, they can be normal for us and therefore we weirdly become continually attracted to those kinds of people and we draw those people into our lives until we start realizing, wait a second, here are the signs of a toxic person, here are my tendencies on why I'm attracted to those kinds of people. Here are the things I need to do to get away from those people, right? right. So that would be the, like the final thing is after some healing is done, start looking at patterns in your life to start absolutely. taking radical ownership.
0: Absolutely. I mean, look, I, and 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 you're absolutely right. There is while it's never the fault of the victim. There are there are patterns that that we we need to we need to break. Like I, I it, does, yes. it doesn't mean that it's your fault, but it does mean that like how do we harden uh, ourselves to this in the future? My issue is. When you are in that cycle of abuse, you do have a tendency to draw those more abusers to you, more toxic people yes. to you. Um, and yeah. you talked about using therapy or a counselor to get out of that yes. cycle. Um, because I, because when, I'm, when I'm listening to you talk, I'm thinking, hey, great. But how do you find that first person, that first person that you feel yes. safe with? Because you know, if you're in that cycle, you may have zero people in your life that truly fit that definition.
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, the therapist would be the best person to go to first um, and ask people in your life like, hey, do you have I'm trying to look for some therapy um, and just kind of dive it. you. If you don't really if you don't feel comfortable telling someone outrightly, Mm -hmm. just Mm -hmm. start asking for recommendations for therapists. Start interviewing different kinds of therapists. If you are a faith based person, go to a church and ask. Like your pastor, hey, for recommendations, there's always going to be recommendations mm-hmm. for people to find, and and of course, if you are in a really terrible, toxic, and very abusive situation, you can absolutely call the National Domestic Violence Hotline, which will help you immediately. Um, but that is where I would say, you know, that in what you're bringing up is very real. Is that uh, a lot of times when we're being abused? Um, or we're in an abuse cycle, those abusers want to get us away and isolate us from people. And so we can often become in situations where we don't have a lot of close people in our life because we've been so deeply immersed in these toxic situations, which again, there is no shame. Mm -hmm. Do not shame yourself right now for getting into that position. Any, Any sort of toxic person is very, very good at what they're doing. And again, any person can fall into this, and so yeah. don't. You know, like I, sure. I for sure did, and I know a lot of people that do, but are so afraid to talk about it because they're like, "Well, I should have known better." But even that phrase, "I should have known better," is a shaming phrase to yourself, right. and that's into that, right. that self hatred we were talking about earlier, Jib. Like that self hatred, you should have. Well, we need to stop shooting on ourselves. You right. know, right. well, maybe you're in. uh you were having a hard time in your life. Maybe this person was just very charismatic. Maybe you didn't see the signs. Maybe you Mm -hmm. didn't know the signs. And Mm -hmm. that's okay. It's okay that you didn't. But now that you're in this place, there are ways to get out. You do not have to stay. And here's the biggest thing I've learned with toxic people. And it's the hardest lesson. But you cannot make an unwell person want to be well. Sure. You cannot make that toxic person want to heal, be whole, and treat you better. And that's the hardest thing when dealing with any sort of toxic situation. You so badly want them to like see how they're treating you, want them to treat you better, want them to care about you. But they operate on a different scale than you do. And you just, no matter what you do, you're probably never going to be able to get them to see the things that you see. Mm -hmm. So the very best thing you can do is cut ties and walk away from them and take care of yourself. Um, And the more we get into this downward spiral of trying to change them or trying to get them to see the things you see, the more you'll see that your identity becomes immersed in getting this toxic person to change for you, which is something they're probably never going to do. Um,
0: Very fair. And again, uh, if you try to change them, you can you can reinstate that cycle of self-rejection where, well, I couldn't change them because of me. Uh, I wasn't enough to change them. And then you begin to re-perpetuate that narrative. Um, and okay, so let's, uh, um, th- there's a, there's a lot here. And even if you're not, look, even if you're not in this sort of overt abusive relationships that we're talking about right now, uh, you you could be in that cycle of self-rejection that is akin to these kinds of abusive relationships. You may be in an abusive relationship, dare I say, with yourself, Right where you're, where you're in this cycle of yes. rejection reinforces your pain, yes. reinforces your negative self-talk, which reinforces more rejection, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, let's say we begin. Let's say we find a we find a good person out there who, could, whether it's a counselor or a friend or a, or a pastor or a leader, who is able to help us like start to unpack that cycle of rejection. Okay, and we start to work our way out of it. Uh, but rejection is still really painful, and the title of your book is this idea of transforming pain into purpose. How do we begin okay. to accept that rejection and use it to find our our purpose and 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 reinforce positive self talk and tropes?
1: Yeah. So oftentimes we um, we live. From And I think this is also culturally, um, especially in Western culture, we oftentimes live from a scarcity mindset versus an abundant mindset, meaning like I was dealt these cards and therefore this is all I'm ever going to get. This person was dealt better cards and I'm never going to have what they have. Their life is just always going to be better. And I'm just stuck here. Woe is me. But when we live in that mindset, when we allow ourselves to live in the scarcity mindset, we like, it's just a self-fulfilling prophecy over and Mm -hmm. over and over Mm -hmm. again, where even if we do get the small bit of courage to put ourselves out there for that job, if it doesn't happen, we're like, Oh, well, see, it's because, um, I was, I'm never going to be that person that gets mm-hmm. a good job. I'm never going to be worthy enough for that. And then you get stuck in that mindset that much more. Right. And so you start we using, you start using
0: just, Oh, I'm just this. I'm never going to be that. I'm, yes. I'm only this person. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And it's, it honestly, this is going to sound pretty radical and probably hard to hear, but it's honestly very, it, it's very much driven by pride because in that we're, pride is what thinking of yourself a lot so in that, all you're doing is actually thinking of yourself. You're just thinking of yourself, not I'm the best, but you're thinking of I'm the worst. I'm the worst. The world is out to get me. It's a very suffering mentality and almost a suffering identity that you end up picking up. Like Mm -hmm. I am just out to be this martyr of life and I'm never going to get anything better than what I have right now. Mm -hmm. And I just do not believe that that is the place where we need to live. I believe that if you're in that place right now, there's probably a reason for why you're there. Probably a lot of hard things have happened. And I don't want to discount that. You you should have give yourself the space to feel it and grieve it and go through all those layers of grief and all the five stages. Mm -hmm. But then within that, you need to see that there is that you are the only one that holds the keys to transforming your mindset. And nobody on this planet is going to make you feel amazing about yourself as you can when you fully unlock you truly are and know that your life is not just fully defined by all these terrible things that have happened to you. It's a moment where you switch your mentality. You say, yeah, these terrible things have happened to me um, and they're painful and that's hard. But I wonder if I can start seeing the gift on the other side of Mm them. I wonder if I can start looking back in my life and seeing that, man, that heartbreak of not being with that guy that I really wanted to be with, Mm -hmm. man, years later, that led me to having Mm -hmm. the space in my life to get passionate about this thing that I never would have been passionate about if I had just stayed with this guy, you know? And so as we start reflecting, we can realize, wait a second, this rejection may have actually been the ultimate gift to X, to rediscovering Mm. my true passions, Mm. to just making these friendships with people that maybe I never would have had otherwise, to getting in the dirt and grime and realizing, man, there's some things I need to heal from. And though healing isn't easy, it, the healing will ultimately allow us to become more close to the fullness of who we are created to be. And so it's just, man, and I see this all the time, Gib. And in basically in dating, basically when I see so many singles are just like, well, I'm 30 or 35 or 40, and I'm mm-hmm. still single, and I'm mm-hmm. never going to find anyone. And I'm like, well, if that's your mentality, then you can go out. If anytime you try and go out there and date, you're probably going to hate the process.
0: Right. Like, and you're going to see. I, you're I just like, going to be looking for the rejection in the time we exactly. spend. The, and they're and that'll that'll perpetuate rejection.
1: Exactly. And then you'll, and you won't enjoy it. Like not only will it perpetuate rejection, you'll just hate the entire thing, mm. which will make you loathe it. And why would you want to go into keep entering into something that you loathe? Right. So you really need to first transform your mindset and see, yeah, allow yourself to feel the pain, grieve from all the things you've been through, begin on the arduous journey of healing, mm. but start really reflecting your life to say like, wait a second, is there any, has there been any time in my life where something negative a rejection for example has actually led me into something good like maybe that closed door all those years actually led me to this like i think so often we're sitting in this present moment stuck in scarcity not realizing that if we actually reflected and took moments to see some of the goodness along the way it could actually transform our entire perspective so i like to pass it back to the person to say hey If you're single right now, for example, and you get a boyfriend, that isn't going to change the things you think about yourself. And it's going to magically heal your mindset and your scarcity mindset Mm. because at some point, three months in or a year in, after all the infatuation fades away, you're going to realize, wait a second. This person is still letting me down and they're an imperfect person. And man, now, not only before I thought singleness sucks, now I think dating and being in a relationship sucks. And now if I'm married, now being married sucks. No, you need to address your scarcity mindset now, you know?
0: (laughs) Right. Well, and then we we, we were chatting about this a little bit before we started recording, which is this idea that. That you know, even there is there is these sort of overt rejection where you ask for somebody's number or you talk to them on a date and they don't call you back or whatever. That's that's one thing, yeah. but there are there are a lot of rejections that occur within a relationship. There are uh, expectations that are not met that can feel like rejections as you go through a time in a relationship. And if you can't address those and have an identity uh, beyond that, then then those rejections will perpetuate the same cycle that we've been talking about this whole time. You know, I, yeah. I think yeah. I think that's really, uh, I mean, I think that's profound what you're saying. Like, if you haven't done this work on yourself, and if you're in a committed relationship, you can do this work in the, con- assuming it's not an abusive yes. one, you can do this work in the context of your relationship and be better even in your relationship. If you have a healthy partner, you guys should be able to grow together in that process. But, yes. um
1: yes. Yeah, but it doesn't end. I like
0: that. It doesn't end when you get the thing that you thought you wanted if you haven't done the work ahead of time. Um,
1: Exactly. To heal from your scarcity mindset and know that, yeah, rejection can suck and it does hurt. And I'm not saying that rejection happens and now suddenly by going through this process of healing, you are immune to feeling any sort of pain from rejection ever mm -hmm. again in your life. Like, that isn't what's going to happen. That's not what I'm promising here. We're not robotic. We are, you know very dynamic human beings with feelings and emotions, which are beautiful. But I do believe that we don't have to be as scared of rejection. If we're able to heal Mm. from it, See some of the good that's been able to come through some of the rejections like I for example I would just say this back to that abusive comment I will never sit here and say to you like oh man I'm just so grateful for that abusive relationship right, and right, I just, right,
2: right, right, right. I
1: really want to I would so I'm so good now that I would totally be fine to go through another abusive relationship no like heck no I wish I didn't have to go through that in ways however I see today that going through that as part of my story and journey actually allowed me to get into these layers of self-hatred that already existed before that guy even came along. And because of that relationship, I was able to go on a beautiful journey of healing, rediscovering myself, and now actually getting a passion and a heart to help other people in those situations when I felt like nobody could see me. So no, I would never say, yes, I want to go through abuse again, but now I can see where it made me so much stronger through the healing of that terrible situation.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a great point, right? Like you don't, you can be stronger for the negative situations that have been in your life without sort of saying, uh, I, 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 everybody needs to have that. Right. <laughs> you know, right you know? Exactly. And, There's some uh,
1: situations where like, you don't want that to ever yeah, happen
0: yet. <laughs> Yeah. You don't need that additional pain. Um, I mean, okay. So, so we're working on a growth mindset. We're working on this idea that we, um, a, a growth mindset and an abundant mindset, um, on this idea that we're going to avoid negative self-talk, we are enough as we are. Who we are is important. We need to bring our full selves to all these different things. Uh, how do you how do you maintain this sort of drive to grow, the drive to fight for yourself and endure rejection? Um, and, because you will face additional rejection. Like that's again the important part of this is that this thing is not about getting yourself to a place where you're not rejected. It's getting yourself to a place where the rejection doesn't have the same influence on your Uh, self-identity. How do you maintain the pattern that will continue to reinforce negative thoughts, the idea that I am enough, uh, and the desire to continue to grow? Like, How do you balance this idea of I am enough, there is enough abundance in the world, but yet I want Mm -hmm. to continue to pursue rejection, I want to continue to pursue things that put me in that position?
1: Yeah. yeah. You know, I think it's, oh, it's knowing ourselves, checking in on ourselves and having like a checks and balances. Like I know for myself when I am getting so far in the weeds of just working, 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 cause I can become a workaholic. Right. And when I'm just working, 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 my identity becomes in my work. And then I start moving away from connecting to myself and versus instead of connecting to myself and having balance in my life I'm now so dependent on my identity relying in my work thriving and succeeding right and so I think so a, a huge part of this process is just stepping away from whatever our tendency is and only you know what that tendency is is it a tendency of being addicted to validation is it A need for people pleasing and Mm -hmm. doing all these things for everyone else with very little boundaries. Is it being a workaholic? Is it um escapism? What it like, what is your numbing mechanism Mm. or your tendency? Mm. Being aware of that and then being able to say to recognize when you're go you're kind of stepping into those patterns because sometimes it actually looks good, right? Me working a lot and thriving in my career from a worldly standard looks really great. You know, like people are like, Yeah, kill it, girl, you're doing it. But in doing that, if I'm not careful, I'm not actually connected to myself. And I'm therefore losing those senses of knowing that I am enough, no matter if my job is taken away from me tomorrow, that I am enough just because I am who I am. Right. Mm -hmm. And so We need to know what our numbing mechanisms are and be honest with ourselves because they're different for every person. And within that, once we are more self-aware of those things and knowing our tendencies, we can start putting little bumpers in place to make sure that we're staying on track in our lives. For me, that personally looks like having specific routines and rhythms. I know for me, I'm very extroverted. I Mm -hmm. love to work so it's very important for me to have time outside of just being around people and being in work scenarios i need places and in, in situations where i can decompress where i do not have to be on and where i can honestly like turn off my phone and just read and have silence and yeah. stillness yeah. and when i'm not getting that i know that i'm further and further away of con- from connecting to my heart and staying connected and having a clear mind of like hey Kate, you are enough. Yes, you're killing it in work right now and you're very busy, but you are enough regardless of how much you're working at this moment. Right. Um, and so th- that's one of the bumpers I have in place, but also accountability with friends and people. Once I know, here are my numbing mechanisms, I am sure truly going to then share that with like one, two, or three very close people in my life to mm-hmm. say, hey, if you see me just being a workaholic yeah. um, and tuning people out, will you just call me out? Like, I know that I'm not in a, it looks like I'm doing well in that place, maybe sure. to some people, but I'm not, I'm right. usually in those situations, not connected to myself and my heart. So will you call me out? And would you just, I give you permission to do that, you know, mm-hmm. and that's hard to do to ask people to call you out when they see you um, moving astray from what where you really want to be. Um, so it's really, there's not like a one size process here. I think it's All very dependent on knowing yourself, your own tendencies, and then doing like taking radical ownership over your own life. To say, okay, how am I best connected to myself, my heart, body, soul, spirit, mind, and what can I do to make sure that those things are happening in the day-to-day rhythms of my life?
0: Yeah, I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot there. What What I'm also hearing is there's a lot of like introspection and work that you have to do over time to get to that place right because yeah. our natural tendency as we try to form these new habits as we try to form the new sense of ourselves as we try to survive through the different rejections that we face constantly you need to avoid the coping mechanisms that you that your that your subconscious so desperately wants to attach to you know yeah, whatever whatever exactly. that is and you're going to even in this like even in the description you just gave there are these pitfalls Uh, along that way uh, of, of diving, even in healthy ways of diving into coping mechanisms, like of diving into overworking in order to compensate for being unhappy in another, in another area of, um, uh, you know, I mean, like I, I, one of the ways that I, that I cope is I exercise and there's uh, so many studies about all of the ways that exercise is good for coping with stress, for coping with mental health. It's great. I am not talking down to that, but what, what, one can have a tendency to do, what I can have a tendency to do is to not deal with things and go to the gym.
1: Yeah. Um, Because it
0: becomes its own version of avoidance, even though it is a healthy behavior. Uh, If you ever go to an AA meeting or or, or, uh, uh, any kind of 12-step meeting, you'll see in the break, a lot of the people run to cigarettes, coffee, and donuts immediately in, in, in a very unhealthy way. Because they're, they're you're replacing your addiction, you're replacing your identity uh, with a new thing as opposed to figuring out who you are without it. Um,
2: yes, that's good.
0: Yes. But that's a lot of work over a lot of time, Kate. Like that's and, and, and it's a nonlinear process. like you can you speak to any and we, we can this can be one of the last areas we dive into, but can you speak to how you survive those step, setbacks uh, in this nonlinear process?
1: Yeah, I think it's you know you have to be able to know that you're not always gonna get it right, Mm -hmm. and so some and and I I think here's a good example, and I don't know why you know in our conversation I just keep coming back to the abuse situation. Yeah, so this can can relate to so many different things, but uh, for me, when I was healing through that abusive situation, after I went to consistent therapy for about a year Mm -hmm. and like very intensive therapy and inner healing and all these things. And after a year I was, like, you know, I'm probably in a good place. I'm kind of like, I reached this moment where I'm like, you know, enough healing is enough. I'm, I'm good now, you know? Mm -hmm. And I almost like, it was a little bit of a pride thing. Like I should be enough. This should be enough. Like I've healed, I've done so much therapy for one full year. Like I'm good now. And so I slowly got off of therapy and I just started living my life without therapy. And it wasn't long after that, that, that abusive ex actually reached out to me. And I had a moment of temptation Mm -hmm. of reconnecting with him. And I realized, oh my gosh, like I reached a personal moment in my mind where I'm like, you don't need that healing anymore. You don't need the therapy. You don't need those bumpers in place. You're good, girl. But the reality is I needed the maintenance. I needed Mm -hmm. to keep up. Maybe I didn't need to go to therapy once a week anymore. Maybe I needed it every two weeks or moving down to once a month. Mm -hmm. But recognizing that, you know, don't get to the place where, You're like, well, enough healing is enough or doing this is enough. I'm going to be fine without this now. We actually, no, we we just have to be honest. There are things we need to do for reparative maintenance in our lives. And so there's going to be seasons where you're not perfect at that. And you got to say, you need to take a pause and say, okay, I'm not feeling fully myself right now. Mm -hmm. And I know that I have the keys to changing that. What is it I have to do to adjust right in this moment? Um, how can I reconnect with my heart, my soul and my mind and who I truly am? What do I need? Do I need to just go? this weekend and disconnect and just really start journaling, reading, whatever it is. Do I need to start on a healthier diet and start going to the gym and start doing things for my body? Because I've been literally sitting at a computer desk all day, every mm-hmm, day, mm-hmm. overextending myself to people. You know, we sometimes need those moments to take a pause. But I think the important thing is to know that there's nothing, no shame and needing to do reparative things for yourself very consistently. I'm like of the mindset that everybody would get something from some sort of therapy (laughs) and that we should do that consistently even when you're in seasons where like yeah everything's good nothing's wrong well maybe it is but maybe also you're like you're throwing your identity into work and you're really disconnected from who you truly are and to but everyone around you isn't going to say that because they aren't seeing the core depth of how your heart is really functioning you know it's so helpful to just have another resource in your life somebody to talk to or something that you're consistently doing um so, I would just say, don't get to a place where you're like, oh, well, I don't need to do that anymore. Mm. I'm fine now. Mm. You know, I don't, I think that healing and growth is an ever changing growth, like process throughout our lives. And so it can be exciting. Like every turn of the, the new calendar year, I'm realizing, man, this last year, I grew so much, and it's because I have an attitude and a posture of growth in my life, and I'm not perfect at it, but I'm excited, and mm. that gets me so thankful when I can look back on a year and be like, wow, yeah, there were pit, there were pit stops on the way, but I, I'm definitely, I've grown as a person this this full year because I was committed to growth in my life, and I did the things I needed to do for myself to take the timeouts I needed or to readjust. Um whenever I notice myself getting away from who I truly am. And so, yeah, it's, I mean, it's such a nuanced process. And so, but I believe coming back to the rejection conversation that it's so important that we're consistently doing these things. We're consistently making sure that we are, we have those tools in our tool belt and that they don't, we don't leave them so far aside that they become rusty. We want to be dusting them off. We want to be using them. We want to be reusing them over and over again, because that's the whole point. We want to take tools and c- continue to add them to our tool belt so mm-hmm. we're further and further prepared to deal with the things that come our way and yeah. all the different kinds of forms of rejection.
0: Yeah. I mean, and, and, and to your point, you know, if, if you do the work when, in the, in the uh, call, the off season, right. When, when things yeah. feel good, what you can do is like you said, you can create that toolkit for when things do get hard, you can create, you can do the work on yourself and give yourself the sort of confidence and knowledge about yourself. To uh, to be able to face it when the hardship does come, when the rejection, when you do have to face rejection again, or when that ex does call, um, you know, whatever yes, that may exactly. be. And, and also to break patterns from your childhood, right? Like, that's what a great time when you don't right. have an emergent problem to dive into, you know, some of your causative stuff, the stuff that makes you who you are, uh, understanding it better.
1: Yeah, yeah. I agree. Exactly. Well,
0: the book is Thank You for Rejecting Me, Transform Pain into Purpose and Learn to Fight for Yourself. Link to where to buy it in the show notes. Uh, Kate, I appreciate your time today. I'm going to ask you two last things aside from buying the book, which obviously is a great tool as a jumping off point for the kind of stuff that we've been talking about here today. uh, How can people follow up with you?
1: I love it. This has been so fun. Thank you. I love this conversation. Um, Likewise. Yeah, I would love to connect with people uh, on Instagram. I'm very active and I love connecting with people over there. Uh, my my personal Instagram is Kateness, K-A-I-T-N-E-S-S. Like, and then uh, I have my podcast. Is, like, is it Hunger Games? Hunger Games?
0: Yeah, Is it from
2: Hunger Games?
1: <laughs> you know what? That's hysterical. And it's actually, no. I oh, no, I don't believe you. I, I don't believe you. I got this nickname before Katniss Everdeen, uh-huh. okay? Uh-huh. Before I even heard of or read the Hunger Games, people were calling me Katniss back in like college. Mm-hmm. So I'm just fine, okay? Um, but yeah, so people get that confused all the time. I'm like, well, my name is Kate, spelled K A I T. <laughs> and so that's just, we're just going with Katniss. Um, but yeah, and then Heart of Dating is my podcast and all things. Heart of Dating can be found on heartofdating.com or also Heart of Dating on Instagram. And then, uh, yeah, my book can be found wherever books are sold on Amazon, all the places. And we have an awesome community, by the way, of single people. If you are listening and you're single, no matter what age, we have an awesome community on Facebook by going to facebook.com forward slash heart of dating. We have um, thousands of people in there just kind of sharing. And their singleness journey, all the struggles and wins and people having really hard and honest dialogues in there, which is really fun.
0: A uh, link to the, uh, to the Instagram page, to the website and to the Facebook group in the show notes for you guys to check out and, and follow up with Kate. Kate. One last thing, I ask it to everybody, uh, even people who get their names from uh, Hunger Games. What is, one th- what is one thing we can all start doing today that will make our lives a whole lot better?
1: Oh, you know what, one of my most life saving activities is journaling. And so I would say just start getting a pen and paper yeah. and start writing things down. Um, I, I think that we've lost we are so like attached to our phones. And we forget the beauty of just detaching from our mm-hmm. phone and journaling with a good old fashioned notebook and a piece and a pen piece of paper getting your distractions out of the way and just journaling, journaling like a little letter to yourself or just journal your thoughts and feelings and see what happens. it be so refreshing for the soul. That
0: is such a consistent message from people in all sorts of disciplines. And I, and it, it, if we're hearing all of that, if we're hearing it from uh, all these different places, there must be some truth to it. So yeah, I, I'm yes. a big fan. I'm a big fan. Uh, Kate, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, I just, it's been, it's been a great conversation. I appreciate it.
1: Thank you. This has been
0: awesome. <laughs> That's it for our show today. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you like the show, please rate, comment, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcast. It helps us out a lot if you guys do that. If you want to follow up with us, Facebook.com slash John Tesh is where you spend a lot of time. You can also find John on Instagram at John Tesh underscore IFYL. I am Gib Gerard. You can find me at Facebook.com slash Gib Gerard or at Gib Gerard on Instagram and Twitter. I try to respond to every mention of the show, every DM, every conversation you guys have about it. Uh, even taking recommendations because ultimately I do this show for you guys. So
2: thank you so much for listening